0: Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago. How are they gonna beat ISIS?
1: I don't think it's gonna happen. But but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs and the second coming of Jesus Christ.
0: And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white, to say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process this is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White-Hodge. Hey, hey, fam. Hey, hey, Profane Faith fam. How y'all doing out there? This December in the year of our Lord, 2019. Hopefully you are experiencing a good holiday season. If you're listening to this in real time, as always, um, I try to talk a little bit about what's going on. And right now, of course, everybody's festive and Get into the Christmas spirit, if that's what you all celebrate. I know a lot of people, different people celebrate uh, different things. And, uh, you know, this time of year can be an interesting time just because the holidays bring up just an array of issues, right, emotions, past issues. Maybe this holiday is a, is a first, you know, maybe the first without a loved one, the first without a family member. Uh, maybe you got divorced and this is the first Christmas without, uh, you know, a spouse or a partner. Um, I don't know. You broke up with somebody. I don't know. You know, so the, the holidays here in the West, it's an interesting time, right? Because we're bombarded. We're pelted with the, these all these kind of images of you know, happy families and joy and the wonder of Christmas and, you know, the giving spirit and how this and this and that should be should be together. I mean, it's almost as if it it, 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 it in some sense of the words, it turns into almost toxic niceness. Um, And, you know, and it's very easy because right, we, we, we tend to compare a lot to be like, oh, man, my life isn't like this. And I don't, you know, my family isn't this or my family isn't that. I mean, I know even, you know, for me, it's it's easy to start comparing me. And for up until I got married, I used to go out and visit my grandmother in Texas and um, Dee, Dee, and, um, you know, that it, you know, every year it still hits me like, oh, man, you know, and that used to be a huge family tradition, like going out you know, the drive down there from California to Texas was was an event in and of itself. Each time it was an event, we had some of this, my mom and I would make the trip and, you know, it would be some of the um, same spots that we would stop at to eat, uh, rest spots, all those things. And there was just some nostalgia connected with that. Um, And of course, you know, life changes, right? It's like, well, I got married and that uh, changes that. And then my grandmother got older and she needed to get into a nursing home. And so, you know, and she's been passed now of uh, This uh, 2019 marked 10 years. And so, you know, of course, you know, death changes that. And so the holidays, again, can be this time of it can be painful for folks and it can be easy for, you know, for folks to show up to holiday parties and be laughing and, and smiling. And all the while they're depressed inside and uh, saddened um, or suicidal, you know, even, you know, to, to make it even more um of a real you know real issue I mean you know the, the holidays are a uh, can be a depressing time and I don't think I really grasped that until I got older married a kid and I'm not saying that's what you have to do to grasp it that by no means am I saying that but I am saying that for me it just it took that to finally for me to kind of just to really grasp the depth of what people meant by the holidays uh being just kind of like meh or just you know really a depressing time um and you know, and I get it, man. I, I, I get it now. Um, so I encourage you wherever you're at, you know, Hey, if you, I hope you have somebody you can talk with. I hope somebody you have somebody you can, um, you know, process those emotions. I know as an Enneagram four, um, I can, you know, I, I just, I need that space. I need that space to, to process my emotions and to, to think through them. And, you know, music helps. Uh, my wife is gracious enough to listen and to help me process and, then of course, therapists are always that. Um, hopefully you have something like that. If not, I highly recommend finding that. Um, even if it's just talking to a friend, just to, if you you don't know, like I don't know if I want to go talk with a professional. Look, I get that because, you know, uh, it's like I tell my wife, it's like, man, I'm paying somebody, you know, to listen to me, right? They have to listen to me. I'm, I'm paying them. So it's just like, there is that awkwardness that goes into that. So there, th- that element and that aspect, I would say, you know, can be awkward if you haven't ever done that. Uh, But as always, I do recommend, you know, hey, hopefully you have some spaces that you can just be real with and talk about and process, you know, really where you at and, you know, what's going on for you this holiday season because it hits us all differently. Um, You know, sometimes I get jealous of my students who say, oh, I'm going home to go see the family and going this and this and that. And I'm like, man. You know, um, because outside of my mom, on my you know, and my, my my immediate family, I don't really have a family. I don't. I don't know my dad. Don't know anybody on that side of the family. Uh, my mom is 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 cool, but outside of aunts and uncles and all that crap, I don't. I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have. You know. I don't. I I I really don't even know. You know. I mean, I know my cousins, but you know, it's like we don't really hang out, (laughs) you know what I'm saying, I'm in Chicago, they're where they are at and, you know, that's just kind of that so it's like, if I were to show up to one of their houses, it'd kind of be just like, hey uh, why you here? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So, um Yeah, that's just for me, you know, and you may be having a great time and that's great. I don't want to make, you know, anyone feel bad either. Like, oh man, I have such I have it so great. But it's also just recognizing also what you have and, you know, and how you have it. And that, you know, not everybody has that. These times can be, again, trying times and challenging times. And I know for me, it's an easy to slip into a funk, um, you know, during this time and, you know, and, you know, just the, the uh the demonic presence of of comparison can can come in and really affect the way you know you process life so i i, I hope that you are able to find some solace uh this holiday season i know um i am and i'm trying to and, and it's a day by day thing some days i don't feel you know all that great so i'm 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 hopeful for spring <laughs> you know what i'm saying i'm hoping for for green on trees again um because of course that always adds too, right? So anyways, uh, anyways, hope you're hope you're having a decent time and wherever you're listening to this, thank you for tuning in and, and for checking out Profane Faith. Um, thank you so much for listening. And you know, it's been a great year, been a great season four. Um, and I actually had another guest, a good friend of mine, Dr. Gay V, is actually set up for this week. But then Christianity Today was we went ahead and and, and, and Published an article condemning Trump, and I was like, All right, I gotta have a conversation about this because this. I'm like, You know, it's like too little, too late, right? It's like with the impeachment process, it's like, Okay, y'all doing it now, really? Like, now nah, that's what it took, okay? Um, <laughs> so it, it, I don't know, I am in one sense of the word, it's like, Sure, it, it scrounged up a lot of, um, you know, dust on the internet, and of course, uh, you know. Uh, your boy 45 was tweeting about how progressive and liberal Christianity today is, which I'm like, wow, if Christianity today is liberal, oh my gosh, I must be like the whitest dude ever. I must have like Birkenstocks and, uh, you know, shop at the gap. <laughs> I'm messing with y'all, man. I'm fun. And I know that's, that's a stark stereotype, right? I know not all, you know. White folks got, you know, uh, the gap, right? The, the Birkenstocks, though, right? <laughs> uh, my wife got Birkenstocks, but, you know, I love her, right? I love you listening. I love you. <laughs> and the Birkenstocks, they're cute. yeah you know, they work out, right? <laughs> um, but at any rate, um, you know, that was that was some stuff. And so I wanted to have a conversation with somebody. And who do I go to? Well, I might as well just call him our resident uh, in-house reporter for Profane Faith, the good the 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 amazing and the wise JR Foresteros he's been on a whole bunch of times here on profane faith if you've never heard him i will post all the former show links in the show notes whiteoutpodcast.com and you can check it out and him out there and get his bio and all that stuff i've mentioned it a whole bunch of times he should go without knowing about just who he is and what he does um because I really wanted to get particularly, you know, because I trust it and I tell him this, you know, uh, you know, in the in, in the in the conversation I'm about to, you know, open up here in a minute. But, uh, you know, I trust him because he's so well read. And so I I feel like I can trust your 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 insight when you when you give me something and, you know, we can actually have a conversation around that. I think, you know, the article, you know, was interesting and it's kind of like, well, I, I don't know. I feel like a large part of so much of evangelicalism is. Is, is starting to feel a crunch in different ways, right? Um, you know, there's still people holding out that somehow the millennials will come back. When I mean, We ain't even on millennials anymore, right? We're on Gen Y. And, you know, people are still holding out that somehow something is going to, you know, crack and it's going to, you know, I, I get out these, you know, these emails and these updates from Barna and some of the research that they're doing and whatnot. And so it's still kind of, you know, hinging and pivoting around that idea and notion that, um, you know, the the, the the we can bring them back in and, you know, still trying to bring up this revival era that we have left a long ass time ago. Um, and so there's this sense that, you know, somehow we're losing this and like, you know, the idea that, you know, we've lost our moral or we're our, our moral compass. And I'm like, I think that 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 horse has left the barn, quite frankly. Um, so I wanted to, you know, again, have a conversation about that, you know, given that there was such a flurry around that. And I wanted to talk to somebody that I, I trust and has been a good friend um, and is white and male, you know, who gets it, you know, from that perspective. And we just had a great conversation. We covered the gamut on this, and um, hopefully you will enjoy this as much as I did uh, in my conversation with JR. Um, I'm going to take a break uh, this uh, season here, so I just also wanted to give you all that heads up. Uh, I'm going to take a few weeks off, uh, clear my mind, read a little bit, do a little music, hang out with the family. Uh, It's the first time we both, we all get two weeks off, um, and so I'm going to take advantage of that While I get it. So, you'll see me and hear from me again in 2020. Um, And uh, I will have Dr. Gabe Vias up because he's got some amazing stuff to break down. And so, uh, we'll be back in 2020. So, I just wanted to give you the heads up. Those of you faithful listeners, we're going to take a little bit of a break. And come back here in 2020, uh, and still have some amazing guests. I have some pre-recorded stuff that I that I have down, so we I still have them lined up. So season four is still going strong. Uh, so I just wanted to give you all that heads up. And again, thank y'all for listening. Oh, the other thing is, let me leave you on this that I wanted to tell you is that iTunes, if you have iTunes and you have uh, an Alexa or one of those voice-activated things, iTunes now, you can tell your activated speaker to, hey, Alexa, play Profane Faith podcast. Or, hey, Alexa, you know, take me to Profane Faith season four, episode five. uh, And it'll do that. So if you have that technology in your house, go ahead and utilize that. uh, And, you know, pull up Profane Faith. And as always like share comment. Um, that stuff is always great. And I thank you for those of you who have, and thank you for the comments and the feedback as always. I always welcome that. I think, um, I welcome that with open arms because that is like, like I've said before, the lifeblood of the podcast world. So thank you so much. 2020, looking forward to it. New decade. Good to talk about that and some of the changes coming up in the new decade and where all this stuff fits. So thank y'all so much. Again, Alexa, check out Profane Faith. It'll pull it up right there, episode one. Yeah. All right, y'all. Have a great holiday season. Blessings on all of you. And we'll catch you in 2030. Oh, man. Well, JR, welcome back to um, Profane Faith. Good to have you back, brother.
1: It is good to be back.
0: Yes, indeed, man. Well, here we are. Um, And for those listening, you already know, I mean, I I try to stay up on the times and what's happening in this day and age. And there was an article that came out with Christianity Today. Then we had the impeachment. Um, But junior I'd love to get your thoughts just on what you thought of when you when you saw the article and just kind of Christianity Today's position, you know, with with Trump.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was honestly a little surprised that there was such a excited um, reaction from the evangelical community. Like people people were acting like this was a big watershed moment. And Mm -hmm. I, I was confused for mainly because back before I think maybe even back during the primaries before Trump was elected they ran an editorial by Andy Crouch which which very strongly and in no uncertain terms condemned Trump as unfit to be president yes so people were saying like oh finally Christianity has come out and said Christianity has come out and said this and that kind of stuff and I was like what do you mean finally like they they have been critical of Trump since before he took office, and they haven't shied away from, I mean, they put out a lot of stuff that was like pro-immigration and things like that. So I just, I, I guess I kind of didn't understand why people were acting as though Christianity today was just now finally saying critical things about Donald Trump.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it took me a second to kind of, um, Catch up because I wasn't sure. And they were like, "Oh man, you read the Christianity Today article." I was like, "What do you mean?" Because I do remember that prior to the um, to the election, and, and and of course, you know, in, in true fashion, Donald uh, uh, J. Trump tweets. He says, "I guess the magazine <laughs> Christianity Today is looking for Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, or those of the socialist slash communist bent to guard their religion." How about Sleepy Joe? The fact is, no president has ever done what I have done for evangelicals or religion itself exclamation mark
1: yeah which (laughs) i mean that's technically true right i think donald trump has exposed the hypocrisy of evangelicalism in a way that no other president ever has yes so yes so he he technically has done for evangelicalism what no other president has but i don't think he means it the same way i do
0: Well I mean what I mean I'm I'm just curious and one of the reasons why and we were just talking about this right before we got going was I wanted to bring you on the show when this popped up I was like man I I love your perspective because you know you're well read you have a great I feel very fair and balanced perspective so I think If I were to ask you something, I feel like, okay, I know Jr. is thinking about it from multiple sides and multiple perspectives and stuff, man. Like, I I guess I'm trying to think through, like, with with this, because I know Kathy Kahn had uh, had tweeted out some stuff as well. I'm going to have to look for her uh, tweet here in a second. But she was, you know, talking about how, like, you know, this is, uh, you know, why are we you know, why are we getting so. You know, caught up in just you know, like one article and whatnot, and and I forget who was was it the editor in chief that wrote that wrote the article?
1: Yeah, so Mark Golly, who's been the editor since I think two thousand six or something like that, and okay. who is actually retiring at the end of the year.
0: Okay, okay. So he
1: is the one that wrote the editorial.
0: Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And
1: Andy Crouch was the editor, as, as from what I understand, Andy Crouch was one of the editors when he wrote the editorial uh, about Trump during the election cycle. So okay. again, they're not. They're not like low level people in the organization it's it's the editor-in chief uh that has put this most recent one out and I mean golly, I don't know how much you know about him, but he's very he's pretty far right when it comes to evangelicalism like he was he was loudly condemning Rob bell when that whole snafu went down and I mean i I honestly i don't I'm not particularly impressed with golly's track record so it was interesting to see someone like him come out swinging like that i I, I say come out swinging like I also feel like there's a lot in the article that just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth as well. Like the fact that he said that he hasn't up until this point found any any reason for moral dismissal of Trump from office.
0: Yes. So. Yes. Yes. And what are what are some of those other things that you uh, you picked up on in, in terms of that? Because I have another question to follow up on Trump and evangelicalism. But I'd be curious to hear your perspective on just, you know. His his perspective. I, I hadn't. I haven't done enough research on on the brother, so I'm not. I'm not. Well, I'm yeah. not sure. So
1: I mean, he. You know, he says. He says in in the editorial that the facts are unambiguous um what the president has done is profoundly immoral. He links it back to what CT said about Nixon and Clinton, which which again, a lot of critics of evangelicalism have been pointing to this, right? They've been pointing and saying, you know, evangelicals wanted Clinton removed because he had an affair in the White House and tried to cover it up. yeah, um, Trump like openly brags about his repeated affairs and sexual assaults and evangelicals are like falling all over themselves to support him. so, golly did at least call out the hypocrisy of evangelicalism and say, uh you know the the our credibility is on the line with with the rest of the world. uh I honestly think that ship has long sailed, but um yeah, I mean he he's saying that kind of stuff uh but I'm trying to find the specific um the specific place where he says that he hasn't until this point. Scene let me see here. Um, yeah, so he says, none of the president's positives can balance the moral and political damage we face under a leader of such grossly immoral character. And so to me, I read something like that and I say, we knew that before he was elected.
0: <laughs> right.
1: We knew that before evangelicals were voting for him. Uh, he hasn't, it's not like he was one person on, on the uh, election trail or on the campaign trail and another person when he got into office. Like he is he is who he has always been. And so it's it smacks somewhat a little bit of arranging deck chairs on the Titanic at this point um, for, for CT to come out and say this. Because I don't, I, I still to this day, I, I I don't believe that a Christian in good conscience could have supported Trump at any point in in the election. Yeah. Um. So I mean, again, I guess I'm glad that Mark Gali is coming out and saying this, but I don't actually. One, I'm not I'm not super impressed. Uh, two, it's I think it's too little, too late. And three, I I don't actually think it's going to make a difference. And and I don't know how much you've been seeing, but all uh, people who are employed by CT have been tweeting over the last couple of days, talking about how much hate mail, death threats they're getting, things like that from, you know, of course, from Christians.
0: Yes. Uh, So,
1: (laughs) and and again, that just, that just shows, I think what that illustrates is that the, the The politics are informing the religion, not the other way around.
0: Yes, which I think is interesting because, well, I mean, I'll hop to this. I mean, so Franklin Graham, you know, tweets out uh, on the 20th here at 126 a.m. He says, I hadn't shared who my father voted for in 2016, but because of the article, I felt it necessary to share now. My father knew who Donald Trump it knew Donald Trump and believed in him and voted for him. He believed Donald J. Trump was the man for this hour in history of our nation. Of course, he's tweeted out other things uh, as well in in regards to this and stuff, man. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. I mean, and again, this is why I want your perspective. And by all means... You know, check me on stuff, too, man, because I just, I don't I don't want you know, I also don't want to do the same thing that folks have done to black folk and be like, hey, tell us what black people think. So for everybody <laughs> listening, I'm not trying to just get, oh, Jr. tell us what white evangelicals think. But I'm, I'm I again, I know you have a balanced perspective, man, but I'd be curious just like in terms of evangelicalism in general, man, like what, what have you seen in just in terms of trends? I mean, like how has this type of ideology, has this informed, you know, evangelicalism has, has, has this been something that's, you know, inbred into, into seminaries? Is this like, when you think about the Graham family and what kind of the legacy of Billy Graham and of course, Franklin Graham, and there's other Grahams, but you tend to only really ever hear of of franklin graham um you know what is what what is the impact on that and when you when you say the ship has sailed like what do, what does that look like for the even even for the future of christianity evangelicalism nothing matter orthodox catholics um yeah how does that what is 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 there a public you know outcry meaning like oh man y'all christians are are whack or i, I don't yeah, know I'm- what do you
1: think? So I, I pastor an evangelical church. I live in, I live in Texas, which is, you know, the buckle of the Bible belt. Uh, we have 10 mega churches on every corner down here. And I'm, I have a number of friends, both locally and around the country who are either Christian, but not evangelical or non-Christian and I end up in a lot of those conversations because uh, in some ways they see me as a pastor, sort of on the margins of evangelicalism. Uh, And so, yeah, I I don't know. I have to hear this all the time. And I, I think, I think one of the, one of the painful truths that evangelicals are not ready to confront is that we have reduced christianity to a privatized individualistic faith which was the goal of classical liberalism okay I mean, if you trace starting in the Enlightenment and moving all the way forward to the development of liberalist liberalist theology and philosophy, it was all about the individual. You know, the focus on the human and all that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, for all evangelicalism wants to talk about the sovereignty of God and everything for God's glory and all of that kind of stuff, all of our theology is 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 very very individualistic. And I think Billy Graham is a really good encapsulation of that. When you went to a Billy Graham crusade, the goal was not social transformation. The goal was individual transformation. Um, The win at an evangelistic crusade, not just, I mean, my entire tradition, Church of the Nazarene, came out of the revivalist movements of the Third Great Awakening. So uh, it's certainly not Graham alone, but but revivalism in general, the whole focus is that altar call and that individual personal transformation, which is not, a bad thing in and of itself, but we've we've reduced the entirety of Jesus's good news, which is the restoration and rescue of the entire world, to individual uh, conversion. Yes, and so I think white evangelicals, particularly, uh, we have a really hard time thinking systemically about anything. So, if you look at the church, too response to me to people can't understand how our evangelicalist evangelical sexual ethics including the quote-unquote Billy Graham rule have created environments where sexual predation thrives because they 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 can't understand sexual predation as anything ex anything other than an individual who is bent away from God making uh harmful choices yeah. Uh, they they can't understand race. We can't understand systemic racism because we can't we can't imagine that that racial bigotry could exist as anything other than personal hatred towards a person who doesn't look like me. So so then, if if I don't hate people of another race, if I in fact have a friend or a coworker that I think is my friend who is black or Hispanic or whatever, then that must mean I'm not racist. Because I don't I personally individually don't hate people of another race. and our our evangelical imagination has become so uh, truncated and shrunk that I think we can't we can't look at Jesus' good news as having anything to say about anything other than personal conversion. Hmm. And I think that's why people like Franklin Graham talk yeah. about in negative terms about the social gospel so much right? Because the social gospel says Jesus's good news is that love of God that brings about that individual transformation, but it's also love of neighbor, which means social transformation. Hmm. Right. And, and like that, that, that other piece of Jesus's great commandment that love your neighbor as yourself, it just doesn't have any place in the revival movement. Okay. Okay. Right. Like what are you going to do at the altar that brings about social transformation? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, and, and I think that's part of why Billy Graham didn't participate in uh, Dr. King's Million Man March, why he said there basically wasn't any point in what Dr. King was doing during the Civil Rights Movement, because because we were going to have to wait for the eschaton for right. everyone to live in harmony. Because again, he just didn't he just didn't have room in his theological imagination for a gospel that could change the world, not just the interior person. Right. And so again, we bring that forward to today, and uh, yeah, I, I just I think that I think that evangelicals live in this weird cognitive dissonance where we want we want abortion to be illegal, so we'll support whoever will give us the conservative justices. But again, we don't want to actually do anything that reduces the number of abortions, even though, for instance. Under every Democratic president, the rate of abortion has dropped because Democrat, Democratic uh, presidents are more likely to invest in the social realities that change the conditions under which abortion is more likely to happen. And so because evangelicals don't want to do that, we would rather just make it illegal. And then again, if we make it illegal and someone ch- still chooses to do it, well, then they just are bad. Right. We that's easier for us to understand where people are either good or bad, wrong or right, than it is for us to imagine that there are ways that we are choosing to live together that create realities that will actually make it more likely for women to get pregnant in such ways that they would want to get abortions. Okay. And that if we would, if we would change the way we're living together. We could actually reduce the number of abortions by reducing poverty, increasing education, increasing access to uh, birth control and other kinds of sexual education. Right? We can do a lot of things that have been statistically shown to reduce the number of abortions, but that would require us to change the way that we live, and we're not interested in that because that's social change. That's not you know individual legalistic legislation and morality. Yeah. Man, and so if we just if we just get the president in there that'll give us the laws we want then we then we did everything we need to do right
0: it that and that's what it feels like right i mean that's what it 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 i feel like that was a large part of the dose of religion that i was raised on right i mean in in and i think you know in the black context it looked a little bit different because um, I mean, and, and I would say that that was definitely still present, um, in, in terms of, of that type of ideological strain. Um, you know, you're not, you know, you in, in, at least in black Christian circles, popular discourses and whatnot, you're not going to find too many people who at least black folk who'd be like, oh man, you know, Dr. King's message and this and this and that. I mean, it, it, it so there, there was that element of it, but it still felt like, oh man, the courts get these laws to change, um, and it was you know, and I saw two sides of it. Is right. Okay, growing up in in, in one sense, in a Black Baptist environment, you see that. But then you get the the Black Seventh Day Adventists, and then there was this other sense of, let's just bring the eschaton on now because laws are going to eventually change anyway. And it was still about, but it was you know, it still went back to the Sabbaths, and so like, there wasn't necessarily this care for the other justice issues because the end was going to come anyway. So let's not. let's not necessarily, you know, invest in that. Let's be the, let's, let's, let's build for that time. And, you know, once, once we get past the eschaton and the time of trouble and blah, 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 you know, it will, we'll be in glory and, and that'll be that. And so I think what you're talking about, man, is, is, is deep because I think that so much of it is, you know, right. It is. and, And we're seeing some of those things, right. With judges and judgeships. And it's almost like, okay, trump was just the 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 person to to fill that spot um i so i don't know i i i i'm I'm trying to 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 wrap my head around that and just uh and i guess i look at it it like okay like what is what, what does christianity look like what is the what does the next decade bring with religion you know christianity in in particular and what and what does that look like um how do y'all handle some of these things at at, at your church in in engaging with? What is the, how you know what is, what are some of the nuances uh, with that?
1: I, I I talk with my congregation a lot about how are we to become the church that our city needs? You know, five years from now, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. And so we are just for a little bit of context on the community that we're in, we're in a suburb of Dallas that in 1993 was 23,000 people. And in 2010 was 67,000 people. Uh, We're one of the eight fastest growing cities in the United States. Mm. Uh, And I mean, like uh, a shocking number of those are are centered around Dallas and Houston because Texas is growing a lot. And, uh, and so as you can imagine, um, everything changes when your city triples in size in 20 years you okay. know um and again we're still growing uh, I think the best estimates I've heard is that we will we will cap out about hundred thousand people maybe in another decade or so um, and then we're landlocked like we have we're surrounded by suburbs so we you know we can't like annex more land or something like that so we'll yeah. just we'll kind of be done but you know we have uh, the the Dallas public transportation uh, dart, put uh, the the extended the blue line of our train system to Rowlett about five and a half years ago, six years ago. We have a tollway that now runs through Rowlett that's been here for about eight years. So just in the last decade, we have become significantly more accessible to the rest of the Metroplex. And that means that tons of the people who are coming in here are not just white people, which is largely what it was, um, you know, back in the early 90s. So that means that our city is having to figure out how to be a, di- a diverse city. In addition to the fact that we're having to figure out how to deal with traffic and how to uh, equitably tax when we have a sig- way more um, way more uh, residencies than we have businesses uh, and, and, and all this kind of stuff, right? We're, we're trying to figure out how to create an identity when all Rowlett has ever been is a bedroom community where you sleep here. And then if you want to do anything else, but from work to have fun, you go somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And now that there's so many more people here, we're trying to figure out, well, what kind of city do we want to be? So we've got a little downtown coming in and we're trying to get some local businesses there. But, but all all of this means we're just in this huge time of flux and transition. And, you know, we had we had a, a candidate who is was, who was pretty openly white supremacist running for mayor in our last election. And they didn't win. Uh, they lost by a significant margin. But they ran pretty openly on their views. And a lot of it was again about like, you know, make Rowlett great again and keep out all the apartments and all the other stuff that sort of penalizes people who are lower income. And uh, all of that to say, what I keep telling my church is like, we as a congregation need to figure out how to get really, really good at diversity because our city needs that. They don't, they don't even necessarily know that they need that, right? But if we're yeah. going to be good news for our community, like one of the ways we can be good news is to learn how to be excited about people who are different from us and really good at being able to form and maintain relationships with people who are different from us politically, culturally, religiously, whatever. Um, so, I mean, we, we practice that in our own congregation of trying to create uh, create structures and systems that enable people to connect with each other, even though they're, they're different. Uh, in this last year, we've begun a relationship with the mosque in the town next door to us uh, where we've hosted, they've hosted us for meals and we've hosted them for meals and we're trying to begin to create some friendships and bridges there. And the, uh, actually the, the chairman of the board of the mosque, they're, they're raising money to build a building right now. And he actually asked me if I would come with him when he met the Baptist pastor in their town because he was nervous about it. Right. And I'm his mm. friend now and I'm a Christian. And so he, he asked if I would kind of be there to just sort of like be a little bit of a, an ally and a buffer. And I was like, yeah, of course, I mean, of course, I'm well, happy to do that, you know, but, um, and again, my church is really excited about this kind of stuff. They see the opportunities for us to just be a place where we are like ruthlessly, radically hospitable and engaging with folks who are not like us, and building true, genuine, authentic friendships. Man, and again, I think I think our city needs that. I think, I mean, we, you know, here down here in Texas, we're kind of on the forefront of the immigration debate because when folks are coming across the border, there a lot of them are coming to Texas. Right, right. right. And so, like, our our city council just recently uh, urged our governor to continue. Like, we have reaffirmed our. Uh, identity as a, this is Dallas, not Rowlett now, but Dallas as a city reaffirmed its refugee welcoming status. Like we will continue to welcome or resettle refugees and urge the governor and the president to um, make refugees a priority, which of course they haven't been for the last couple of years under this administration. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot down here where we're kind of on the forefront of those debates and we just, we feel that our role as good newsers of Jesus is to be a people who shows everyone like what hospitality and welcome and authentic deeply formed friendships look like
0: man i yes i think um i mean cuz i think i'm trying to figure out in, in general like what does what does general hospitality look like when we live in such a time where you know social media love it or hate it and everything in between it's it's here to stay and At least for the main, at least for the mainstay, and so, you know, it's like you know somebody was talking about this the other day on NPR. It's like you know, it's 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 how we go about finding our news, right? And it's like you know, we've gotten to you know so much of of like you know, it's like okay, well, this is an echo chamber, and because ratings are still important it's like you know well if 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 it's turned into an echo chamber of of news and this just kind of reinforces what you think and this is on all sides i'm not just trying to go after fox and or i'm not just trying to say oh cnn or whatever but i'm just saying all of that stuff this morning i'm having a conversation with with my daughter about being you know just critical thinkers about where do you get your information where did this research come from when somebody says studies say where did this research come from so I think what you're all trying to do is, at the it, it's it's in one sense okay, yes, oh, so we we need this at a time, but it's like, but right, but what does that look like when because no two humans are going to agree on everything. There's it's just not the way it is. but we've gotten to a point where I I don't know. This is just me, uh, where I feel like we're 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 in an interesting time. Where it feels like, okay, we're either going to succeed as a species, you know, and move forward here in Western society, or it's just going to all turn into this. You know, are we going to go the, the the way of Blade Runner, right? Are we going to, yeah? Um, are are will it be this, you know, Back to the Future type, you know, setting where it's like it's kind of fun, but you know, I don't know. We got floating things. So I'm just I guess I'm trying to look at it like what is the what do the, what do the next 10 years bring? And it feels like you you guys are working through some of that stuff like just some of the basics cuz I can't imagine what you're talking about is just it's it's all just this easy thing and I think that's <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you know it I just can't imagine that being the case cuz you know we've both lo- lived long enough to know that church politics and people in the pews you know it 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 can it can it's a, it's an interesting dance i guess is what I'm trying to say but i don't know i mean i and and, and I- how does religion? How does faith work into all of this? I'd be curious, and I ask that particularly for just some of my own listeners who are humanist or, or agnostic or just in general. Just I don't believe anything, but I appreciate some of the, s- the subjects that you bring up on the podcast. Like, how does that? How does faith? How does religion? Because I hear this a lot. Like, man, religion really doesn't have any place. It's just an opiate for the for the dopes. And and I, I I'm 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 definitely not there. I see it. It's just that when, you know, stuff like Franklin Graham comes out, it's like I feel like everybody just gravitates to that and then lumps all Christians into that. And I'm just like, well, hold up. That's not everybody. And I get that he's got a loud, you know, voice in terms of just a platform. But I'd be curious, like, again, how do you nuance some of these, these the, the challenges and the bubbles that pop up in the linoleum when you're trying to lay the floor down? It's just like, oh, my gosh. Really, we got to have this conversation, especially, you know, Going across face, A Muslim I'm Like what Uh I don't know I, I'm just I, I guess I'm just I'm generally asking you, What are some of the Some of the best practices That you've That you've seen Come out In where you guys Are worshiping Does that make sense yeah. That's a long Oh yeah Absolutely question.
1: Um, And I think I think one of the biggest things I've tried to instill With my congregation Over and over and over Is um, The truth Doesn't need a defense
0: Okay Alright
1: Um Because, and, and, and I, I would, I would, I would mix that. So I I guess maybe let me put it this way. Like, so one, the truth doesn't need a defense. So we don't feel like we have to fight, you know, or if someone says something we think is wrong, like we, it's, God didn't appoint us as like fearless guardians of, of what's right. And we don't have to like come hard at them and, and correct them. So the truth doesn't need a defense. Uh, Also to another one is that, you know, we don't have a monopoly on truth. So I tell people all the time, I think I'm right about everything, and I know I'm not. Ah. Um, like I, I, have, I don't suffer from a, 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 a paucity of self-confidence, right. Like I'm a very uh, very confident person. And especially when I have when I've researched something and investigated and spent time with it, like I'm very, very sure about it. Um, so I have had to practice intellectual humility. Uh, and and moving into moving into spaces and, and again I guess I, I, that's probably also in part honestly because I'm a white guy right and so like my my voice in culture gets outsized weight right um, so I've had to practice a deep intellectual humility make sure I'm surrounding myself with a plurality of voices making sure that I'm constantly interrogating my own perspective and my own thoughts um, because again saying that the truth doesn't need a defense is not the same thing as saying like I have the truth. Right? Yeah, and I think yeah. that's that like, that's where people that's where people get tripped up. is like, well, of course, whatever I think is right. So then I have to defend it. Um, the, the third thing I would say is uh, that, that we try to, that we try to teach is having a, um, uh, like a firm understanding of what I believe. So, for instance, uh, one of my one of my new Muslim friends reached out to me uh, a couple months ago now and said, "Hey, my wife is working on this comparative religion paper, and she needs to meet with someone of a different faith. Is it okay if we meet you at your church and and have her ask her questions about about Christianity?" And I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like. <laughs> Yeah, of course. That'd be amazing, you know? And so they sent me three questions and we ended up talking for like two and a half hours because they're, they're just super fun. And we were talking about, I was like, they kept apologizing for keeping me. And I was like, listen, I can, this is literally my favorite thing to do. Like we're just sitting around and talking about, are like what we think about religion and what our perspectives are, and all this, you know. Yeah. And, and of course, a couple of their questions were about things like biblical authority and like chain of authorship and, and things like that. And then also the Trinity. Well, those are both questions that I've studied a lot on and thought through a lot. And so I was able to talk at length with them. Uh, about like why? What do we mean when we say Jesus is the Son of God, and what does that mean? And how is that different from what Islam says about Jesus and all this kind of stuff? And it was an awesome conversation, but like I had to know my stuff in that in that situation. Um, so I, I think if we're really serious about having these. Important, con- I mean, obviously, like I can also hang out with them and we can like play a board game or talk about uh, city politics or something like that. That's fine, right? But if I want to talk religion with people who don't have the same religion as me, I've got to know significantly more about my own beliefs and my own faith than I do if I'm just talking to like a Baptist or a Methodist, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so I think that's part of it too, is like, we're trying as a, as a congregation to really think, of, think through like, how, how do we know what we believe? Uh, again, not so we can defend it, but so we can articulate it and, and share in that mutual exchange of ideas. Um, and then the last thing is like, we just, I, we just really try to encourage intellectual curiosity. You know, uh, I clear back when I was in high school, I read Dave Ramsey's how to win friends and friends and influence people. (laughs) I've never forgot where he wrote and he said, you'll get further developing a genuine interest in three other people than trying to get those three people to develop a genuine interest in you.
0: Mm. And so,
1: yeah, same thing. Like when I'm in a new situation and I don't know what to do, I just start asking people questions about themselves, you know. What do you like to do? What's your dream vacation? If you could have dinner with any three people living or dead, who would it be? Like those kinds of just like fun, silly questions. But like you you learn so much about people that way, you know, and, and it's so disarming and it's so fun. Um, and, and then again, like it's 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 just it, it makes the beginnings of those relationships Easier to do. And, and honestly, to tie it back into theology, I think that's incarnational behavior. Okay. Because you know, we insist that the good news of Christianity is that Jesus became one of us. And those kinds of like that, that like insistence on interest in other people is incarnational. Like I don't sit back in my chair and hope that they find me interesting and my beliefs and my practices and all of that. Like I lean into where they are and try to get to know them and and even ask, like, what can I learn? Um, For instance, when we hosted our Muslim friends at our church for a barbecue, we were kind of milling around before the food was quite ready. And one of the one of the guys said, uh, so, like, what happens in this building uh, throughout the week? And I I explained, well, you know, we worship on Sundays and like the Cub Scouts use it on Mondays and the band practices on Thursdays. He's like, but like mostly throughout the week, it's empty. I said, yes. He said, how do you get people to remain faithful? And I kinda I was like, what do you mean? He goes, Well, you know, we we have five times daily prayer mm. and we still struggle with people remaining faithful. So how do you do it with just once a week? <laughs> I <Wow>. was like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Well <laughs> now I'm a little embarrassed. Um, but yeah, that's a great question. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that is a good question. Yeah. And and it it really kind of has haunted me since then where I think about the fact that like to bring it back to our current political cycle and everything like that. Like one of the things I'm thinking about for the new year is challenging my, you know, my people, uh, both online and, uh, at my church, like what, what if you committed in the new year to spend as much time in prayer as you did reading the news or watching the news? Hmm. So you don't have to stop doing what you're doing. If you watch five hours of news a day, fine, but then start praying five hours a day. Because again, I think that one of the things that we've seen throughout all of this is that we're being formed significantly more by the talking heads in our culture than by God. And I, I one, I think it would probably check a lot of us to like maybe consume less news than we do, then it's probably good for us. But on the other hand too, I think if we were diligent to spend more time in scripture and in prayer and even, God forbid, prayer together, <laughs> Um I think that would really change like how we approach a lot of these issues and certainly how we approach the people that we're in these conversations with. And, and, you know, we have another election coming up next year and I don't know if anyone listening remembers how terrible the 2016 election cycle was, but it was, it was brutal. And this one is shaping up to be worse. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah. So I think. I don't know like I could keep going on and on and on talking about how we love our neighbors in an election cycle um but yeah I just, I just think until we make some serious decisions about how we are choosing to be formed and who get who gets to form us uh we're going to keep getting the same results that we're getting right now
0: This is good I mean I, I and I mean I think you know again this is the kickoff was the Christianity today article you know to trying to think through what you know, the significance of that and, you know, just the, the, um, you know, the kind of the morality within that. I heard somebody this last week, I'm forgetting her name. I know she's an actress, but you know, she was talking about how oftentimes, you know, we look for this moral perfection, you know, in, in a lot of people. And, you know, and as I've told a lot of my friends, and I've, I've said it on, on Profane Faith, it's like, I don't want to become a fundamentalist, but just a liberal fundamentalist. I don't want to become a, a progressive fundamentalist where it's like, I, I feel like oftentimes cancel culture doesn't do a good job of allowing that person to change whatever, whatever the, 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 error may be. I mean, cause I feel like all of us possess some aspect of ignorance, um, when it comes to whatever, like fill in the blank. It's like, you know, I'm not all knowing, none of us are all knowing on everything. So it's like, of course we're going to have some ignorance to say, like, but how then do we, you know, do we hold somebody accountable for something they said 15 years ago? And then how does that apply to then, say, somebody who's running for office? Um, because I've heard that argument too, right? About it's like, oh, well, Trump said these things. In fact, I remember this was in the 2016 cycle. They were interviewing, I think it was the times or the Washington post was, was, was interviewing, um, an African American woman and why, and she, you know, she, why she was voting for Trump. And they asked her, it was like, well, Hey, you know, what about his housing policies? And you know, that he's been, you know, historically discriminatory, you know? And she was just like, well, that was something he did in the seventies you know and i'm sure he's grown since then and you know he's in this is about this policy today and this and this and that and so i'm curious how we hold that and I, i'm asking this because this came up in it comes up a lot in my communication classes right it's like how do we how does how does the what does the first amendment look like for a nazi how does the First Amendment look for somebody uh, in Antifa? How does, uh, how, does, how does the First Amendment look for somebody online? Um, you know, should we, you know, be, you know, should YouTube be, you know, shutting down some of these accounts and stuff, even as, as crazy as they are, which I found ironic that they, that wasn't Facebook shut out uh, uh, Minister Farrakhan, which I was like, oh, oh okay, <laughs> all right. It's like they had to pick somebody, like, uh, you, all right, you too, yeah, you're, you're just as crazy, right? It's like, so I'm, I mean I'm curious. I mean I'd be here to hear your position, or not even position, but just your thoughts on on what that looks like in this day and age. Because you're on social media, um, you have all kind of podcasts going on, and and I love your movie ratings and stuff. And I'm, I'm resisting to you know and asking you about Star Wars because I went and saw it the other <laughs> night and stuff. So oh, I'm resisting to uh, asking you your opinions on that. But um, I'd be curious, you know, like how you've navigated some of these things and um and how does it get to a point where you know it just gets to, to like people aren't learning like I feel like if in the classroom and I know this is a long rant but I feel like if in the classroom if, if I scare students enough I have enough power in the classroom right any professor or teacher does that you can scare students into just into always either not either being silent and not saying anything or always trying to shoot for the right answer so that they'll be, you know, but is that really learning? And of course, no, it's not. So how have you negotiated some of those things online, in person? Does that make sense? I'm sorry. I can, oh yeah. I can.
1: And you no, know, I, I would say, um, for me personally, I am sure for most of us, I know for you, it certainly has the way I've engaged on social media has shifted significantly in the yeah. wake of 2016. Yeah. Uh, and in, honestly, in the wake of my own education, you know, um, after the after the the police shooting here in Dallas in 2016, that which was right on the heels of the killing of Philando Castile, um, I realized that I didn't have the capacity to talk to talk meaningfully about race beyond about a first grade level, which is you know racism is bad, mm. um, and so I I and that was again some of some of the black folks in my congregation were like why aren't you saying something why aren't you doing something and I was like. Well, I honestly don't know what to say or what to do. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do. And um, I'm an Enneagram three, which means we avoid pain and shame. So my my uh, engagement tactic was, well, I'll just, I'll just ignore it, and you know. Of course, that doesn't do anything for it. And so I, I spent, I've spent i spent the last couple of years uh, really trying to educate myself, reading a ton of stuff on race from people of color, trying to follow more people of color, listening to podcasts like Profane Faith, hey. hey. Um, <laughs> and uh, again, just really trying to educate myself, right? Because I, I didn't know what to do. And as I've done that, um, one of the big shifts that I have noticed in my own social media is... Um, I, I personally do not allow content that I deem harmful to remain on my social media. So particularly Facebook is where I get into a lot of conversation. It's become kind of an ongoing joke with my congregation and my friend group that one of their favorite, um, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon at the office activities is to go scroll through the comments on some of my posts. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. And, uh, but like one of the things I've started doing is I have started just like really directly shutting down, um, people who reproduce mostly unwittingly racist, uh, and misogynist rhetoric. Yeah. And again, I think they're doing it, they're doing it out of ignorance. They don't understand. And, and what I've, what I've essentially started doing is saying, here's a, here's a reading list. Um, And so what I get, you know, I get accused of, well, you're just, you're, 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 what happened to free speech? Or I guess you're just not interested in a conversation and blah, 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 blah. And the way I've responded to that is I'm very interested in a conversation, but you don't have some of the basic tools as, as I did not, right? You, you are lacking some bit, like if you don't understand how to talk about racism or misogyny systemically, if you don't even know what that means, then you need to educate yourself before you're ready to have this conversation. Um, And if you're willing to do that, great. Here are some books that I found very helpful and I'm happy to, I'm actually really happy to walk through them with you because I've read them all, uh, some of them a couple of times. If you're just here to fight and tell me that I'm wrong, well, I'm not interested in that anymore. You know, Um, I'm not interested in being a punching bag for someone. I'm certainly not interested in lending my platform to someone to espouse racist or misogynist or homophobic rhetoric. Right. So I shut it down. I've had to block a couple of people, oh, yeah. um, but I often don't because the other thing I have found is that I have a lot of folks who are genuinely curious, who are trying to learn, who are not going to engage because they are in that same position I was in in 2016. They just don't know how and they don't know what to say. Okay, And so they're watching. And so again, I've, I've, I get almost every time I do one of those threads, I get a couple of private messages from people who are like, wow, that's really helpful. The way you explain that was really good. I really appreciate that. Or even just like, thanks for standing up against those guys. They were jerks because they're always guys. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so that's a big change that I've noticed. And so when it comes to freedom of speech, I, the thing I have to keep reminding people is freedom of speech means the government's not going to limit your speech. Um, me deleting your comment on Facebook is not an infringement on your freedom of speech because you didn't get a fine. You didn't go to jail. Uh, you just got told maybe for the first time in your life that you're not the center of the universe. I'm like, sorry, but you're not. Um, I'm also not right, but that's okay. Um, YouTube blocking people. Uh, yeah, you know what? They're a privately owned company, and they don't have any obligation to provide freedom of speech. Uh, if you don't like what YouTube does with your channel, quit using YouTube and start your own thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Facebook has an abominable track record with race. Uh, I I have a I have a I have noticed that if you write something as white trash, which I have done myself, uh, Facebook immediately deletes the comment and tags it as racially insensitive um but i have a number of friends i have a, a one guy in particular an asian american friend who has repeatedly reported comments that use a, uh, slurs directed against asian americans and facebook leaves them up yeah yeah um and i don't know i don't know about like the n word I, I gosh i would like assume that if facebook edits white trash they would edit the n word but thankfully i haven't had that in my social media spaces yeah so uh, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's very clearly not equitable at Facebook and they're, they're still very clearly privileging whiteness. Um, I follow Ali Henry and I'm sure you followed at least some of her stuff with her Facebook page. Like she's had so many problems because she speaks right. out against white supremacy. Um, so yeah, I, I you know, I, and, and again, I think I think if if I could find a social network that had a similar... I, I basically stay on Facebook because I legitimately do feel it's giving me access to do a lot of good in these conversations. Um, the moment that I feel it's not or the moment that I feel that the bad that Facebook is in my social circles is outweighing the good is the moment I'll delete my Facebook and not look back. But. Um, you know, same thing with Twitter. I don't have a problem blocking people and um but I but I often also personally as a white guy feel some level of obligation to be the person standing up and saying, Hey, that's not how this thing works, or like, hey, I'm sorry, this you you keep you yeah, I love that. You keep you keep using that word. It does not mean what you think it means. <laughs> um I use I use that meme a lot. Um <laughs> yes, yes. Uh but again, I feel like I feel some level of obligation because I am a part of the group of privileged people who are most often the problem these days and so i feel some level of obligation to try to like take care of my own folks you know yeah because that was going
0: to be a question like how does race factor in you know for you in, in in some of these spaces you know including church as well
1: yeah it's really hard like I mean, one of the things we've, we've done a lot of hiring in the past couple of years and just trying to make sure that my hiring pool includes persons of color, which is especially hard because we're a small church and I'm the only full time position. So like we just hired a worship director and it was a half time position. We're going to be looking for a youth director here pretty quick. It's going to be like a quarter time position. So it's not like we have a giant pool of money that we can just kind of have our pick. Like we are, we are even further restricted by the size of the job that we're looking for. And so, you know, honestly, it would be easy to use an excuse to say, like, "Well, I can only find these white people because, like, we have all of these limitations." But the reality is, you just have to try harder. You know, if you if you want if you want persons of color in your leadership, they're out there, and um, you can you can find them. It just takes more work for someone like me because the channels that most readily bring me employees are formed to direct white people to a white church. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Um. And I think, too, beyond even staffing, we have to look at, you know, what are the kinds of things we're talking about as a congregation? Am I creating spaces where people can have these discussions and conversations? Because that's a big part of it, too. Like. White people like me need to hear regularly from non-white people and men need to hear regularly from women. Um, Straight people need to hear regularly from LGBTQ folks. And so um, what are the spaces that we're creating in our congregation where those conversations can happen? You know? Yeah. Um, How are we creating those spaces? Because... Uh, I mean, the pulpit is one thing, right? But even still, let's say someone comes to church every single Sunday in a year, which is literally no one, not even me, the pastor, right? right. Um, like I take vacation. So if someone did that, then they, and our let's, let's say our sermons are an average of 30 minutes long, just for the sake of math, right? That's 52 sermons, 30 minutes each. That's what, 26 hours in a year. I don't even know how many hours in a year. I'm not gonna try to do the math, but it's more than 27. Right. So like that would mean we're getting 27 hours or 26 hours of lecture, not conversation. Um, And again, because I'm a white guy and I'm still the pastor, I'm doing the majority of the preaching. Still, the majority of those 26 hours are coming from a white guy. Uh, Even if we have uh, someone who's LGBTQ, even if we have females preaching, if we have persons of color preaching, like some of the time still like in a year. Less than half, probably less than a third of the 26 hours of spiritual formation they're getting are from someone that doesn't look like me. Like that's you just can't that's not gonna form something, to, to my Muslim friend's point, right? Well that's not very much. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. so like as a church, how are we how are we trying to Im- how are we trying to transform the daily lived reality of our congregation such that we're all consistently in deep, meaningful intimate transformative friendships with people who don't look like us. Yes. And that's, that's difficult to do because church isn't set up that way.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I think, and that's, yeah, right. I mean, bringing it back, you know, full circle. I mean, I think that, you know, when I think about again, church and how that is, I mean, at, at present I'm not in currently involved in any church. I mean, when one of the reasons we left the last church we were at was just simply because I just got tired of being, you know, the one to have to explain stuff or have to like, oh, can we gotta go talk to the senior pastor about this? Or Like, why are we reading yet another white guy on theology when you just we just had a whole series on race? And it's like, all right, I'm done. Plus, it was a 45, 50 minute drive in one way, another 45, 50 minute drive back. And I was like, all right, we we got to figure something out. And my kid was hating it and all that stuff. But you're right. I don't think that it it's set up in such a way. And. I, I, I struggle with that because it's like my own socialization has been like, oh, but you should still be a part of that. But it's just like, but the current, like, what, what does this look like currently? And, and I don't know, I don't necessarily have answers, which is why I'm having a conversation with you and, and definitely intrigued about, you know, what y'all are doing and how that stuff, um, impacts the community, uh, that, you know, that, that you, that you live in because
1: you have, okay. Okay. I'll say this for, for, I'll, I'll speak specifically for me as a white person, I have to change my assumptions about what church is for all right I like that um, and in fact I just recently so one of one of the four like big ideas that we that our leadership put out as shaping our church moving forward is diversity and diversity where unity is not uniformity and where you know, truly we're bringing a bunch of different perspectives to the table. And so when I preached about that idea, I said, you know, a church where people are different from you is a good church. Like we should be seeking that. We should be seeking out difference because it's what God created us for. Like a a, a truly diverse community. Um, again, one that's not just doesn't just look different but is truly full of people who the only thing we all have in common is jesus um that's good for us and i had one of my one of my folks come up to me after he's a much older man and he he said you know i have never like forever for me growing up and living my whole life you went to it you you found a church where everyone believed the same way you did like that was the goal of a good church mm. was, you know, and so he said, he said, I like the idea you've put forward, but I, this is just the first time I've ever heard that preached. Um, I think for people of colors, especially most of you have had to be in church experiences that were at least ethnically diverse, unless you go to an all black church or all Korean church or something like that, right? Like you kind of, people of color just have less of a choice in America, right? Yeah, Like everything's built for whiteness. So like you just kind of have to live in a, at least ethnically diverse space, whether you want to or not. And we white folks, we just don't have to, we can choose to be segregated into whiteness and and even spaces where there are bodies that are of other colors, the spaces are not diverse, um, if that makes sense. And yeah. so like when I like, I have, I have been trying to tell my people church is not here to make you comfortable. And that's hard because we live in Texas. There's 500 mega churches on every block. If you want to be comfortable in church, you can go right down the street. And there's churches that have like 500 programs for you and your kids. And like, you can do 17 entertaining things all day long. And, you know, that, and we're just, we're trying not to be that kind of a church because we don't want people to think if I feel uncomfortable in church, it's time for me to leave or something went wrong. We want to say, well, if you felt uncomfortable in church, maybe that was an opportunity for you to step in and learn something. Yeah. 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 And that's just, again, I think I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing and stereotyping here, but I think, I think that's harder for me as a white man to learn because everything is built for me. Like our whole world is built for me not to ever have to feel uncomfortable. And so trying to, it's, it's, it's a process. And, and I mean, uh, I'll just say this and it might be terrible, but I just gonna say it. Like I am so grateful for the women and for the persons of color and for the LGBTQ folks who choose to remain in our congregation because it's not built for them and their choice to stay is a grace that I am unworthy of
0: mm.
1: Mm. because they are they are doing good transformative work just by continuing to commit to show up and it's not something that I can ask of them. Yeah. But I'm so grateful that they do. And I hope that one day we are a church that is built for them. But I just like, I have a sense of profound gratitude every time they choose to gather for worship. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I mean this. Yeah, no, that's good. That's a good word. I mean, and 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 you're right. And I think that's for me. It's 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 the challenge, right? On the other side of it, it's like it's the challenge of trying to find a space. Like, what does that look like? Because you know, and I've again, I've say this a lot. It's like, man, he's like you know, you go to a place, okay, that quote unquote. Is black or POC, but then it's like, man, then you run into different theological issues because it's like it's typically those those spaces tend to run very conservative and very fundamental and like almost uber evangelical in a lot of those Mm -hmm. in a lot of that sense. So then you go to a, a place that quote unquote is progressive. Those places and spaces tend to be dominated by white folks, great, well-intentioned, but it's like, you know, then you got to have the racial conversation. It's like, okay.
1: They would have they voted for Obama for a third term. Exactly. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> if, exactly, brother. Exactly. So that's where I am, man. And that's just even, you know, our family is, is just, you know, trying to figure those spaces out. And so I don't know the, 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 the Christian, and I know our time is nine, man, but I, I, it, you know, the Christianity today article is just, it's, it was fascinating to me. It almost just got me to chuckle a little bit. Cause I'm just like, huh. I mean, I don't, for me, Christianity today doesn't, you know, doesn't even hit the radar. When I think about Christianity, that's not, that's not necessarily where I go for information other than to just be like, okay, who's, Okay, whatever. I mean, if my publisher sent something to me that a day, and Stock sent something about it, like, oh, you know, our, our your book was in you know showing in Christianity. I'm like, oh, okay, that's nice. I don't know who would want to pick that up other than to criticize it, but you know, thanks. I'm I'm glad it, I'm glad it was you know I'm glad it was uh, there was a picture of it in there. Um, so it just it got me chuckled, which is why again I wanted to have this broader conversation with you about all these things. So, thanks, man.
1: It's it's such a yeah. I mean, it's. <sighs> I I don't know if evangelicalism will survive Donald Trump, and I'm not sure I want it to.
0: Okay.
1: All right. I think evangelicalism is such a product of modernity that if we had the courage to let it die and trust that something better will grow out of it, we would probably be in a better place. Okay. So I guess I'm just not worried about it. Like, again, I'm friends with tons of those nuns that don't belong to any religion. And I love getting to be in conversation with them about faith. Um, I mean, we don't have to recover all that ground here, but you know, they're super open to God and to Jesus and to the things that I think are essentially Christianity. You just can't call it Christianity right now because of what we've done to our reputation, you know? Yeah. So I think the opportunity to build something different that has some of the, has some of the same uh, DNA as evangelicalism, but isn't, isn't steeped in modernity and white supremacy is gonna be good for us. And I think if we, I mean, gosh, one of the greatest graphic novel series of all time is Neil Gaiman's Sandman. And the theme of that whole thing is everything either changes or dies and it's pretty clear evangelicalism doesn't want to change that's why we doubled down on trump so okay we're gonna die well again if you if you believe in christianity you know death is a good thing because yeah. that means there's a, a resurrection of something new coming around the corner and i i think i think i think whatever is raised out of the grave of evangelicalism is going to be much better
0: mm. that's a uh that's a good place to uh to put a pin in it man that's that's uh it's a good word man um Thanks for sharing today man. I know this was last minute for those of you who listening. You know, I uh, basically texted JR 24 hours ago. I was like, "Hey, you got some you got some time and brother jr is just i appreciate you making the time man. i said
1: anytime i get to talk to dan is a good time whether <laughs> we're on microphone or not so
0: <laughs> i hear that man i hear that man are you promoting anything brother where you know what what you got you got a new book out what's what's no what's you happening? know
1: just my my weekly newsletter where i do reflections on faith and pop culture and i do movie picks my rise of the skywalker review was in my last one that came out So right. that's stuff you'll probably like.com and it comes out every friday Perfect. it's probably the best place to get a hold of me everything else is on a break
0: right now so oh okay yeah you know what i need to think about that i need to take a break <laughs> oh man I do I need to take a break that's good that's a, that's a good word right there that's a real good word Um, well thank you so much JR and for those again for listening JR's been on the show before Um, I'll put all those links in the show notes whiteodgepodcast.com uh, along with your newsletter link and uh, I highly recommend I do listen uh, to the the fascinating podcast right is that the yeah. one that just, I just, it's just on it just shows up in my, my iTunes and I just hit play that one that I texted you about the other day was, was funny man y'all and um, they have some great conversations and authors over there um, so I highly recommend it as well brother thank you again for coming
1: on it's always a pleasure Dan thank you for all the good work you're doing